The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. It's one thing to go to the buffet, grab a plate, and walk down the row and put literally everything on that plate in a random order, right? But it's a different thing to make kind of measured, careful choices, right? To see where it's going to go on your plate, to see if it's going to fit with the decisions that you've already made, to see if you're going to like suck it up and go back and take something off your plate and put it in the trash to make room for the new thing that you think really needs to go there. You need to attend to these connections, these coherences and the ways that borrowing isn't like a, a simple thing. Welcome back to the Next Big Idea Daily, where we're trying to help you think through life's big questions. What's it all about, anyway? What's my purpose? What am I willing to die for? I know these are daunting questions, but rather than dodging them, what if we learned an actual method for discovering the meaning of life, or at least the meaning of our lives? I've been talking this week with Ryan McAnally Linz and Matthew Crosman, two of the authors of the new book, Life Worth Living, A Guide to What Matters Most. In their book, as in the Yale University course that it's based on, they review what some of history's great thinkers and major religions have had to say. And when you read the teachings of the Christian apostles and the Confucian sages, you might be tempted to take a bit from column A and a bit from column B to build a meaningful life from the best bits and pieces of these great traditions. But my guests are here to tell you that might not be such a good idea. Here's co-author Miroslav Volf to explain. We need to recognize that the good life is not a buffet. Put another way, our answers to all the smaller sub-questions need to fit together. Something like the ingredients of a good recipe go together and complement each other. Whoever you answer to, if you really believe you're responsible to them for how you shape your life, they will need to have a say about how you think a good life feels, what you ought to do about suffering you can't avoid, and other questions like these. That's just part of what it means to understand ourselves as responsible to someone in that way. Similarly, if you're convinced that suffering has a productive role to play in even the best of lives, that will have to shape what you must say about how the good life feels. The answers to each question mold and influence each other. Otherwise, our vision of a good life winds up at war with itself, pulling us in different direction at the same time. Consequently, as much as we might wish we could, we can't shop independently for answers to different sub-questions and then throw them together into a vision of life. Two ingredients peanut butter, and pickle relish, for instance, can each be wonderful on its own, but nearly impossible to fit together in a good recipe. Similarly, if we love what medieval Christian theologian Julian of Norwich has to say about one thing, and what modern Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh has to say about another, we can't just assume the two pieces will fit together. Each of these thinkers has a rich, coherent vision of the good life. They offer answers to all the different questions we need to answer for ourselves, 
and their answers fit together. We can't borrow pieces of what they have to say without thinking seriously to make sure that the pieces we've borrowed actually fit together. I want to push back on this one a little bit. Why not? Why can't it be a buffet? Why can't I take a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of hedonism, a little Confucius, a little St. Paul, a little Oscar Wilde, and just take what I like from all of that and build myself a really cool life? So so to push the the buffet metaphor, right? It's one thing to go to the buffet, grab a plate, and walk down the row and put literally everything on that plate in a random order, right? Um, then you've just got like a disgusting mess on your plate. It, it doesn't cohere as a meal in any intelligible like, or even like desirable way. But it's a different thing to make kind of measured, careful choices, right? Mm-hmm. To see where it's going to go on your plate, to see if it's going to fit with the decisions that you've already made, to see if you're going to like suck it up and go back and take something off your plate and put it in the trash to make room for the new thing that you think really needs to go there. So it's not that learning or mixing is just right out for some reason, but more that that you need to attend to these connections, these coherences and the ways that borrowing isn't like a, a simple thing. This is a really challenging idea, I think, especially for the modern American sensibility where this is exactly what we do, right? <laughs> we take we take a little yoga, we might do some meditation, but we also maybe we go to church. We like to find what works for us and and that might mean shopping and taking more from the buffet than nicely fits onto our plate. I, I know you're not you're not condemning that approach, I don't think, but, but you're kind of encouraging us to, to think a little more deeply, like in in that, in that model, I guess what I am deciding by, by living that way is that I'm answering to myself, that I get to be the decider of what's valuable by picking and choosing from all these different things. Okay. That's interesting. Cause now that, that means I'm my own authority, but I'm not really going deep into a life that might be broader, more meaningful, more profound, and and worth living as you define it. I think that's quite right. The, the other thing that you're doing there is you're proposing that what each tradition is, is not a sort of coherent whole, but itself just a collection of a sort of assemblage of, of pieces. And we don't have to have go to theological intuitions or ideas to sort of think that we ought to resist that. We might even think from a scientific point of view, that I, I take it that, that the last 20 years of scientific reflection has been leading us to consider the importance of integrated wholes. To understand a living system is to understand an ecosystem rather than just an individual organism. That to understand a complex system is to think about it not just as a, a heap of parts, but as a system that might have emergent sorts of behaviors and capacities to it. And I think that's in many ways what I hope for my students to take away, what I would hope for readers to take away on this point would be in part a sort of 
an appreciation that what a philosophical tradition is, what a religious tradition is, what a whole tradition of cultural reflection is, is an integrated whole. And that some of the value comes not just from that yogic pose, right? But from that integration of that yogic practice into a yogic philosophy, into a Hindu way of life, right? And like I said, I don't think it's just philosophical or theological impulses that would maybe lead us to, to think that way. I think we look around us at a world where a lot of the value is in those holes rather than just in their component parts. I'll just share one anecdote from my life, which is that I, I grew up in a Reformed Jewish household and, you know, sort of have identified as a more or less secular Jew going to synagogue on high holidays. And then I was working on a documentary about the Hasidic community in Brooklyn, and I ended up spending a lot of time with ultra-Orthodox people. And I, I remember just sort of thinking, oh, wow, they really mean it. <laughs> they mean it. Like, you know, myself and my liberal parents, we read some of these same texts, but we kind of like you know, we find them sort of interesting and we sort of reinterpret them through our kind of liberal 21st century democratic principles. So it was interesting to think about how I have a tradition. It's as much a kind of American democratic post-civil rights liberal worldview as it is a Jewish worldview. And, you know, Myself and a lot of my contemporaries have sort of found our way into a, a mush of those things that that works and is, and is a, itself a, a tradition at this point. But I might only see that and see its shape a little bit because I spent some time with Orthodox people who had a very different shape to their life and their faith. Yeah, it's a really great example. It's a stark difference within a similarity, right, that's teaching you to see your stance in this more kind of more as a holistic thing that that has a certain coherence to it, even if it's a really different coherence than the one you're you're encountering from people who at some level are also your co-religionists, right? Okay, that's it for today, everyone. Take a breather. I know this is kind of heavy stuff. And when you set out to decide what your life is all about, there's no guarantee you're going to get it right. Tomorrow, Ryan and Matt will be back to tell us how to handle our inevitable failures. Because as we set out to live a life worth living, we're almost certainly going to fall short at times. If you want to hear those ideas sooner, download our app. There you can find all the key insights from Life Worth Living, along with ideas from hundreds of other nonfiction authors and advice givers. I'm Michael Kovnett. See you tomorrow.